please stand for the call to worship? We are gathered in the presence of God who asks us to choose between life and death, blessing and curse. We are gathered like the people of Israel who were challenged to choose the way of life. Like them, we often follow the ways of death. Yet like them, we have the freedom each day to begin anew by the grace of God. By our presence here, we are saying we want to choose life one more time. Let us pray the God of love and life who has called us to this place. Amen.
as you are, let me welcome you all to Southside Baptist Church on this beautiful Sunday morning, this the third Sunday of Lent. We gather here each week to lift our voices in praise. We come and gather to fellowship together and to interact with one another, God's own people, God's children that have come to this place to worship the one true and living God. Today, as we do so, we come with eager anticipation each today and every day with not only meeting God here and worshiping, but also meeting with others who have found their way to this place today. Some of you are members, some are guests, and for all those that are here who have united your hearts and spirits with us, we want to let you know that it's a privilege to gather together. For those who are guests, especially, but members too, we'd like to ask you to fill out the registration tablet you'll see at the end of each pew. If you'll write in there your name, address if you'd like to, and let us know if there's any changes so that we can be aware of how we might contact you if you so desire. It is good to be here today. Southside Baptist Church is a church here in the heart of the city, and as we come together on this beautiful Lord's Day, we come knowing that God has called us for a purpose, that of building an inclusive community of grace here as we follow the, the calling of Christ upon our lives. So we pray that today you've been warmed, uh, you've been welcomed warmly, that you have entered into this place as we lift our voices in worship. May we continue in that time of worship by offering the God of prayer. Oh Lord, in these moments, as we begin this time of worship, we do lift our voices to you, the God of our worship, the Lord of our life. We come and offer to you all that we are. Everything that we have, we come and lay it before you. We ask, O oh Lord, that where we are strong, that you would bless that strength. Where we are wounded today, that you would also bring healing. Where we are weary, that you would revive us and renew us. That you would bring together all that we are, the weak, the strong, the wounded, the healed, knowing that as we come together, that we're one in Christ. Bless this time of worship. In Christ's name, amen.
Our first reading today is found in the Psalter, Psalm 126. We have listed verses 1 through 6, but actually that is the entire psalm, a song of ascent. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Here ends our first reading. second reading is from the first letter of John, chapter 1, and reading from verse 5 through to chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. be seated. Hey, Ryder, you know, you may win the prize today because you're the only one, only child in eight in years. There are many children out there that just don't know it. They think they're grown up, but they're really not. They're really childlike. But anyway, we're here to get today, and we want to talk just a minute about uh, something that's important, I think, to all people, but especially to children. We think about when we go to bed at night and we see or we're outside and it gets dark, sometimes we become a little bit fearful. You may not, but I know that I always did. When I would be in my room and I would turn the lights off, 
things in the dark have a way of taking on a shape that's really not what it is, don't they? You ever see anything in your room and you say, that looks like some little monster or the monster under the bed or there's a monster there? Do you yeah. ever do that? Yeah. But what happens when you turn the light on? It disappears. It disappears. Well, that's right, and we, we know that it really is not a monster, and we can tell ourselves that, but when we look out there and we see it, our imagination begins to run wild, and we think that we really do see it. We see someone crouching down, or maybe it's really just our jacket on the back of a chair or something like that. Well, I want to talk to you about, you see that window, the fourth one, the right one by the balcony, there's a lamp right there. What do you think that means? And Dr. Roxborough is going to do a series on the I Am Sayings of Jesus, but look at that one. See this one right back here, right by the balcony? Mm -hmm. What's, what do you see in that? It's a lamp. It's a lamp with a little flame on it. You can barely see the flame there. Now, those are not lights like we would use in our house, but those were lamps. And Jesus said in John 8, 12, it's where it's recorded that I am the light of the world. He, whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness because he has the light of life. Now, the light of life means that when we know Jesus and we, he is the light of the world, that when we know him, everything else begins to sort of clear up. It's not, we're not fearful of those other things. Now, I've got a light here, more like what you would be accustomed to. What is this? Full flashlight. And when I said you may win the prize today, you may win this prize with flashlight because you're the only one here today. So you have, it, see there is a, see there's a benefit to coming to children's time. <laughs> and you can take that and you can, and, and when you go to bed at night, you can keep this one, well, you have to ask grandmother if it's okay. But, it'll be, okay, it'll be our secret. We'll, we'll take this and you take that and when you're in there and you're afraid, you'll have this flashlight and you can shine it up. See, you can even see over the trees. Look at there. See? And then that, look right over there. You can see that. It makes, pretty powerful, isn't it? Well, the, the thing to remember is that when we have Jesus in our heart, here, we always have a light. Mm -hmm. We always have a light of life with us, always. Let's give, uh, let's offer prayer and thank God for that, okay? Loving Lord, we thank you that because we do believe in you and your son Jesus, who is the light of the world, that we do not walk in darkness, but you have shown us the way, you've illuminated the path, you have made us free. We no longer need to walk in fear. Thank you, and thank you for Ryder, for what he means to your kingdom. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Maybe we should have prizes for people coming down during the invitational hymn, Dr. Kelly. <laughs> Next week, okay. Will you join me in prayer this morning? During these Sundays of Lent, we, in our prayers of intercession, we have a sung response in three sections of our prayers. And at the end of each section, I will say, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. And the choir will lead us in a Tese response, Ubi Caritas. And I invite you to share in that sung response at each point in the prayer. Gracious, generous, loving God. We praise you this morning for your presence accompanying us through the ages, for the words of ancient wisdom that we have in song and scripture. Keep us listening, returning, and remembering these treasures, using them to support our living, 
resourcing ourselves by listening again to ancient truths, learning to trust you more and more, reflecting on mistakes, but being people who are willing to grow and meet the challenges of life here and now. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Merciful God, keep us journeying with you this Lenten season, feeding ourselves by reconnecting with your love for us, repenting in the sense of taking stock of how much our lives depend on you, turning back in the busyness of our lives to look at where life comes from. Keep us close to you, to your word, to find in them new and deeper mysteries bringing to them our current questions and concerns. Open us up to deep trust in the flow of your forgiving love, to receive the energy and strength that comes from your spirit, the gift of love within our hearts. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Loving and nurturing God, we thank you for your promises, the promises of your presence and care for all human beings. We pray for those who live in various parts of the world where there is destructive conflict, in situations where people are desperate because of lack of basic resources of life through war. And we think this morning of Syria, and we pray that the peace accord there would, would last, would stand and help would come to those in need. We pray for all whom we know today who are facing ill health, who are recovering from surgery, or who are anticipating that within their lives. We pray for all who need you, including ourselves. Grant as we bring ourselves into your presence today that you would meet us in all of our need. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayers. We pray that today we may all encounter you in our songs of worship and in your word proclaimed. Hear our prayers as we offer them in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
No Country for Old Men is a chilling movie set in the 1970s in the hard scrabble ranchlands of West Texas. It is violent, bloody, and murderous. The message is clear. There is great meanness in the world, such deep evil, so incomprehensible, so senseless, that it renders one speechless in its horror. It's not a movie for the faint-hearted. My colleague at Samford and I, Jeff Wright, who heads up the film studies department within the English department, we decided in teaching our course on religion and film that we would use No Country for Old Men. Needless to say, we used it in the section where we explored sin and evil. Tommy Lee Jones plays an old-time small-town sheriff. He struggles to extract some value from the senseless value violence that he sees throughout his career. His father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather before him have been lawmen in West Texas. They've witnessed the death of so many innocents. They've had their noses snubbed by the shrapnel of many broken and shattered lives. And in one scene, he talks about his thoughts regarding evil within the world. He says, the crime you see now, it's hard to even take its measure. It's not that I'm afraid of it. I always knew that you had to be willing to die to do this job. But I don't want to go out and meet something that I don't understand. Evil, it sometimes is incomprehensible, makes no sense. Why is there so much violence within the world? We rarely think of the cross in terms of evil. We think about sin, sometimes the sin of others. Occasionally, we think perhaps about our own sin. Yet a hurtful word, a lack of thoughtlessness, or a lack of thoughtfulness rather, a moment of jealousy, a carefully crafted snub of someone, we do not normally think about how these actions can affect other people but they do. People talk about the butterfly effect, a term coined by the American chaos theorist, Edward Lorenz. How a a relatively minor incident, event, such as the flapping of the wings of a butterfly at one particular moment in a particular place can spark off a chain of events that leads perhaps even to a tornado. There are those moments, however, when we're all too aware of the effect that something we say, do to another person can have an impact beyond that which we intend. Ian McEwan's novel, Atonement, examines this dynamic. The central character is Brioni Tallis, who makes a grave mistake as a young girl. She falsely accuses her sister's boyfriend of rape, a charge that leads to a prison sentence and to untold misery and thwarted hopes. The story of her attempts to atone for her sin, to find forgiveness, is what shapes the novel and also the movie. Towards the end of the book comes a reminder of her unresolved guilt at the sin and evil that she has presented to others. All she wanted, writes McEwen, was to work, then bathe, then sleep, until it was time to work again. But it was all useless, she knew. Whatever skivvying or humble nursing she did, and however well or hard she did it, 
She could never undo the damage that she had done. It was unforgivable. When we survey the cross, what do we see? We see the impact of sin upon Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But we see the light of God's love, which doesn't allow us to cover up our failure. If we say we have no sin, suggests John, the truth is not in us, and we make God a liar. It's only as we confess our sins, a word that John uses that basically means to own up, to admit, to say, yes, that which I have done, said to others and about others is wrong. And certainly we need to say that perhaps to others, certainly to ourselves and always to God, we confess our sins. The title of McEwen's novel suggests that atonement is the answer to the dilemma of sin and evil in the world. Atonement was the central theme of the, the Hebrew Bible and then the Christian scriptures, especially the day of atonement, when the high priest of Israel would offer a sacrifice for sin. It involved, strangely enough, two animals. One animal was killed and the blood was offered as a sacrifice for sin. But the other, the sins of the people were confessed over the animal and the animal was then taken outside of the community of faith and the idea was that it would wander into the horizon to disappear to help the people of Israel to see how the sacrifice of one meant that their sins had been taken away, removed from them. As the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So the passage of scripture we read this morning in 1 John tells us of Jesus, tells us of Jesus who, if we sin, we have an advocate. That word means we have somebody who speaks on our behalf. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I don't know if you've noticed the image on the front of the bulletin this morning, but you see there a picture that one of my closest friends in Scotland, Jim Gordon, took on the beach at Aberdeen just a few weeks ago. It reminded, us as I, it reminded me as I looked at it of the way in which over the years the waves have broken upon this breakwater and almost carved out the shape. Well, there are two shapes there, I learned this morning. There's the shape of the cross, but then Bonnie pointed out to me there's also the shape of the heart. And I thought, how significant. As the waves of God's love beat upon the world, upon communities and upon individuals, the shape of his love, of his grace, of his mercy comes into our experience. The atoning sacrifice, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Here is the good news of God's grace in a world of sin and evil. Evil that overwhelms us and sometimes the sin in our own experience that overwhelms us. That sin that has been perpetrated against us, but also that which we have done to ourselves and to others.
Here is the love of God. We survey the wondrous cross where the young prince of glory died. We see the way in which the wounds of sin that we have inflicted upon ourselves, we see him dying for us. We see the peace of God's grace coming to us through his sacrifice. This is never intended to suggest in any way that Jesus had to die in order to change a God of anger into a God of love. Perish the thought. No, 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 no. A thousand times, if that makes sense. We sang in our hymn, on the cross, the love of God was magnified, was demonstrated, was expressed to its fullest extent. Here is love, says John later on in this book. Here is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's done it all. Carol Bart and his mammoth Church Dogmatics describes the Father's sending of the Son into the world for our sake. He uses a dramatic analogy from the story of the prodigal son that Jesus taught. He speaks about how the prodigal went into the far country and in selflessness wasted the Father's inheritance. Bart says, the sending of the Son of God is the sending of the way of the Son into the far country. It's a dramatic image, it seems to me, of what Jesus did. He came to identify with us, to be one of us, and to go into that far country where the prodigals have been, to the far country to bear our sins and to offer us his grace, his mercy, and his love. This was a risky, radical, excessive, prodigal adventure of God in Jesus for you and for me. Strangely enough, the, Parry, the Harry Potter novels may well have grasped this idea of sacrifice in a way that we sometimes don't. As the various stories in the, no, in the novels proceed, Harry becomes aware, and the readers also, of his secret, the secret that makes him special, that enables him to overcome the forces of darkness. We're told that on the 31st of October, 1981, Lily Potter, his mother, sacrifices her own life to protect her infant son from the dark Lord Voldemort. And that's the way J.K. Rowling says it should be pronounced. No T at the end. This act of sacrifice, says Rowling, was so powerful that it puts Harry under protection. So that when his dark evil forces try to kill him, it all backfires, leaving Harry unharmed, save for a scar on his forehead. As Dumbledore, that great theologian, puts it, your mother died to save you. If there is one thing he cannot understand, it is love. He didn't realize that love is as powerful as your mother, for you have the mark of love upon you. You see, sacrifice is at the heart of the cross. Sacrifice, not that we make, but sacrifice that he makes for us that calls forth our sacrifice. But the sacrifice begins with God. He does everything to provide for our sin and for our salvation. There's a paradox about this powerful message of the cross. Our sin which causes others to suffer and which isolates them from God is dealt by troubling Jesus with that same sense of isolation. 
he goes, says Bart, into the far country. In life he goes there, misunderstood, misrepresented. Not even his family understand what's happening to him. He's alone. But it comes to his dreadful, awful climax when he goes to the cross for our sake. And terrified of that moment in the garden, he cries, take this cup from me. But he goes. He goes to the cross to experience a sense of abandonment that we have never known. We know what loneliness is. It's a terrible thing. The child who suddenly realizes they cannot see their mother. The elderly person abandoned by their family, friends and neighbors to a solitary life in front of a TV. The hostage living for years and years in a cell, apparently being forgotten by everyone. They all echo our deepest fear of being alone. Alone in the dark when we cannot see things properly. So when we hear the cry of dereliction from Jesus as he's in the far country, as he's on the cross and cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the mystery of that moment, we realize that that is what Jesus has done for our sake and for our salvation. By the grace of God, says the writer to the Hebrews, by the grace of God, he tasted death for humankind. There is a little variant in the Greek in that verse. It's only the change of a single letter. But the translation goes from by the grace of God, he tasted death for humankind to without God, he tasted death. For humankind. In the sense that the one who has been the eternal son, always crying Abba, has lost a sense of that sonship, and in some deep mysterious moment has lost even the sense of his father's presence, and he cries, why have you forsaken me? But in that moment we find that he has done that for us, so that all the evil of the world all the sin of the world, all the sin that we have committed might be forgiven. And this is the mystery and this is the message of the cross. We survey the wondrous cross where the young prince of glory died. No guilt in life, no fear in death, we sang earlier. This is the power of Christ in me from life's First cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Jesus takes the power of sin and he defeats it on the cross. Will you pray with me? Loving Lord Jesus, for love that amazes us, for love that is high and broad and deep and wide, for that love that reaches down into our lives, each and every one of us, we offer you our thanks this morning. Grant us a sight of that cross that takes away our fear, our 
our guilt and gives us peace. We ask it for your own dear name's sake. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is 183, In the Cross of Christ I Glory. And Dr. Kelly will be at the front to receive any who wish to make an expression of faith and love during this time of worship. 183. Please join me in prayer. <clears throat> Eternal and loving God, we come here to give thanks, knowing that all we are and all we have is a gift from you. Help us remember that every breath we take is a gift from you. Loving God, as we listen to you in faith and love, help us do your will. Speak your words into the depths of our souls so that we may hear you clearly. Give us the wisdom and insight to understand your will for us and the courage and strength to carry it out through all the facets of our lives, whether at home, at school, or at work. Help us be patient, merciful, and generous. Now we offer our gifts of time, talent, and treasure as acts of faith and thanksgiving to reflect our love for you and for our neighbors. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
for just a moment, please. You know, we are now halfway through Lent. And I was thinking as the choir, Sarah and Dr. Banks, as y'all were leading the choir and you were singing so beautifully and lifting the roof and listening to Dr. Roxborough praise in his sermon, that it's, uh, what will it be, be like when we get to Palm Sunday and Easter? But that is only, as we know, only a foretaste of what is to come, the life eternal too. So it is good to be here and to, to be led in worship, wonderful homily, and also to be led in, in the worshipful music each week. And you know it because you're bringing some friends of yours. I see people here that we haven't seen in a while, and you're bringing those. And this is a great time to come and invite your, get your friends and neighbors to come and share in worship because this is who we are a people that gather together every week, that love the Lord, but also love one another. And we seek to share that, not only in our time of worship and in, as some people would say, being Christian. You know, how, you know what I mean by that? When you just act like you really mean it, you really mean it. And for that reason, it is good to be in this place today. So as we stand to get ready to go out, there are things this week that you'll be, need to be aware of, but stand for just a moment and pass the peace of Christ by greeting those close to you. May the peace of Christ be with you. To him who loves us and has loosed us from our sins by his blood, to him be praise and honor forever and ever, and may his blessing be upon us now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>